We always love the questions and perspectives we get from listeners. They definitely added to a really interesting discussion about workers with disabilities and the federal exemptions that let companies pay them less than minimum wage on today's St. Louis on the Air. Uh, G.E. Foster says on Twitter, supports can and should be available to people with disabilities according to their individual needs so they can access, work in, contribute to, and enjoy their community the same as anyone else. Workshops equals segregation. We also heard from Leslie. She sent us an email on this topic, and she writes, To get rid of sheltered workshops would be the very worst thing. My daughter goes to Lafayette Industries in St. Louis, and she loves it there. She really couldn't work in another environment. If there were no workshops, she would be sitting at home watching TV. Please understand how important they are to some people. And before we move on, I want to remind you that the biggest source of St. Louis Public Radio's funding comes from listeners like you. Because you value what you hear on St. Louis on the Air, donate today. Go to stlpr.org donate. That's stlpr.org donate. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. 21-year-old St. Louis and Jack McGauley has a job he really likes. He works at Mercy Hospital as part of the surgery turnover team. After a surgery is complete, Jack is responsible for cleaning and decontaminating the room, getting things set for the next surgery. And lately, he's been gaining a lot of new skills. Whenever we have new things arise, such as um, like COVID, for example, we had to go into my education and learn about... um, what we need to do in the operating room. So if there's a patient has COVID, how we handle that um, is that self, we don't want to get ourselves sick. And we also don't want any of the other staff to get sick. And Jack McGauley told us that he finds his job pretty fulfilling. It kind of feels uh, like you're doing good. Um, does that make sense? You're there in a spiritual sense, sort of in a form of a, a prayer and things that the family, after I take care of their the room, it's kind of like I'm the surgeon doing the last finishing touches of the surgery, you know. Now, a young man like Jack might not have been considered for a job like his decades ago. He has ADHD and Asperger's. And for years, many Americans wrongly believed that people with disabilities couldn't fully participate in the workforce. Many ended up working at what's known as a sheltered workshop. These workshops paid employees with disabilities far less than the minimum wage. Now, many advocates today say these workshops have no place in the employment landscape, that all workers deserve a fair wage. They've developed programs to help employers see that too. Jack is a graduate of the Starkloff Disability Institute's Dream Big program. It gives teens with disabilities the opportunity to tour partner companies and find a career slash education path for successful independent living. Jack is working on a book series about the zombie apocalypse. He also practices martial arts and streams on Twitch to an audience of more than a thousand. He feels like the sky is the limit, but he knows American workplaces have a long way to go when it comes to people with disabilities. Well, I could say from my experience at a at my first job is don't treat us like we're not human. If that makes sense. Don't don't think of us as uh, how should I say this? Labor with no face or no name. You know, like we have lives for people. You know, we. You know, you may not know us on a personal level. You might not even like us for whatever reason. 
but we're doing our own job. We're working hard. You know, at the end of the day, I think that pretty much matters is if you do your job. That's Jack McGauley. And sheltered workshops remain legal in the U.S. even today. They continue to pay disabled workers less than the minimum wage. Illinois has more of these workshops than any other state in the U.S., and Missouri is actually number two. At least 6,000 workers in Missouri work under these conditions. Now, that's something advocates are pushing to change. They want to see everybody have the kind of opportunities that Jack McGauley has seized. And here to discuss what it would take for that to happen is Colleen Starkloff. She's the founder of the Starkloff Disability Institute. Colleen, welcome. Oh, Sarah, it's so nice to be back with you. Thank you. And we're also joined today by Kathy Brown. She's the Vice President of Public Policy for Easter Seals Midwest. Kathy, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Sarah. My pleasure. So, Colleen, many people are shocked to find that disabled people may be paid less than the minimum wage in certain situations. But this exemption, this goes all the way back to 1938, the Fair Labor Standards Act. What was the thinking at that time? Well, I wasn't there at the time, but actually when the Fair Labor Standards Act was first uh, created, it really had to do with with not just not disabled people. It had to do with guaranteeing a minimum wage for workers in the United States. And, and I was intrigued when I did the research on this to find out that workers, American workers, were guaranteed 25 cents an hour <laughs> as a minimum wage uh, for working a 44-hour week. And then several years later, they changed that. But um, it was a way to establish um, a department within the Department of Labor to protect workers. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you know, when you pass a law and you figure out what's wrong with it or how can you make it better, you add an amendment. And so at some point, a Section 14C was added to the Fair Labor Standards Act that allowed for a sub-minimum wage, a less-than-minimum wage, to be paid to workers with disabilities. And for this day and age, we're really talking about workers who have developmental disabilities. Hmm. And so I think that this is a concept that came about at a time when we didn't have, you know, in the beginning days of before the disability rights movement, we didn't have a lot of rights for disabled people. So I can understand, and I know that in the dis, in the developmental disability community, there's a lot of active parents and a lot of social programs, and I think they were trying to come up with ways for um, socialization as well as some kind of a skill or some kind of a thing for people with developmental disabilities to do during the day. Mm-hmm. But we th- times have changed. We have way better options now, and the the continued payment of people with intellectual disabilities rather than offering them other opportunities to get into mainstream employment is discriminatory. And we feel that Section 14C of the Fair Labor Standards Act needs to go away. Kathy, um, what kind of jobs and tasks are common in these sheltered workshop arrangements? Thanks, Sarah. First, let me say Easter Seals Midwest doesn't operate any 14C facilities or pay subminimum wage to uh, individuals with disabilities. All of our employment programs are aimed at the outcome of competitive community-based employment for folks at at least minimum wage. Mm -hmm. Although throughout my career, I have had the opportunity to tour many sheltered workshops. 
Um, the kinds of tasks available vary because uh, the workshops get contracts from businesses to do various things. I've seen people um, on an assembly line um, putting together parts of products. I've mm-hmm. seen people operating industrial machinery in a recycling uh, kind of operation. Um, and, and I've seen people doing things um, far less skilled, like sorting different bolts into different boxes uh, during the day. So it really depends on the contract work available in that particular uh, facility. Hmm. Now, there's been a lot of debate about this over the years. There are many people who say this is a, a really valuable source of, of socialization and that, that workers enjoy this work. Um, but at the same time, there have been many advocates like the, like the two of you here who are saying, hey, this is, this is a holdover from a past um, from a practice that maybe began with good intentions, it has no place today. Now, in September, the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights released a report on this issue, and their report supports the phase-out of sub-minimum wage for people with disabilities. Colleen, do you think this uh, this report is going to have an impact? Well, I hope it does. We've been gathering more support from various organizations. I don't think we're there yet, but to have the uh, the Civil Rights Commission uh, recognizing this, I think, is is very, very important for us. And so we, we continue down this path and expect that at some point we will be finally successful. But I'd, I'd like to also point out that there's another better option. And we have more employers who are looking at this population as a workforce. And I think that's really important. We didn't have that kind of support before. Mm-hmm. People with disabilities were kind of put away somewhere. But we're bringing them out into, as Kathy said, mainstream jobs, using a model called supported employment, where there's a job developer and a job coach, and they help this person do the job. That's how Jack got into his job at, at Mercy. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a better awareness. And I think the fears that people have that you won't be accepting of someone with a developmental disability working in your, um, you know, your stockroom, in your cafeteria, in your restaurant, in your, in your coffee shop, wherever. I think those kinds of, uh, as, as we, as people with disabilities assimilate into our society, we will be dispelling the myths and attitudes about being friendly and building relationships with each other. We'll get to know each other better. And these individuals will have a better lifestyle. There's nothing wrong with that. Hmm. Well, the commission, this again is the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. This is fascinating. They report that they received their highest volume of public comments ever when they examined this issue. They got over 9,700 comments. And we do want to just share a little bit of this other side that that we're talking about here. Um, Jean Evans is the executive director of the Missouri Republican Party. She's actually going to be a guest on this show on Friday. And she tweeted this when she heard we were going to talk about this. She said, parents of those who work in these workshops have begged me not to allow this exemption to change. They fear it will end their kids' only available resource for employment. We also heard from Leslie. She sent us an email on this topic, and she writes, to get rid of sheltered workshops would be the very worst thing. My daughter goes to Lafayette Industries in St. Louis, and she loves it there. She really couldn't work in another environment. If there were no workshops, she would be sitting at home watching TV. Please understand how important they are to some people. Um, Kathy, I know you believe that a phase-out could be possible here. If, If this was phased out, what would happen to these workers like Leslie's daughter? Uh, walk us through a, a possible scenario here. Sure, Sarah. And let me just add, you know, there are a couple of pieces of federal legislation that are moving through Congress that phase out 
um, 14C and subminimum wage overtime. They include extremely robust technical assistance to these organizations so they can transform to serve people differently. Hmm. They also include uh, some dollars to go along with that to help them to support that transition. And nothing about moving away from sheltered workshops or subminimum wage is uncharted territory. Uh, States have done this. In 2002, Vermont closed its last sheltered workshop. Um, and other states have since followed along, um, banning the practice of subminimum wage at the state level. In Missouri, a very small number of people rely on sheltered workshops, even though we're second in the nation for 14C certificates. So there are probably about 100,000 people with uh, developmental disabilities in the state of Missouri. Hmm. About 6,000 of them utilize these services. And to your question, what happens to those folks You know, a lot of uh, uh, people um, take this issue and say, well, unless we have another program, we can't get rid of this one. But that's not really how services work in the field of developmental disabilities. It's person-centered. So, you know, a a Kathy Brown needs to be surrounded by a team of people who know her best and can help her uh, identify her gifts and talents and skills that would be you know, important to an employer who had an opportunity. And so those services are really built person by person. When Missouri and other states went through processes of deinstitutionalization, it was the same thing. It was a person by person effort in order to ensure that they had all the necessary supports and services to make them as successful as possible. Mm-hmm. We're talking today to Kathy Brown. She's the vice president of public policy for Easter Seals Midwest and is is sharing her knowledge on this issue. We're also joined by Colleen Starkloff, the founder of the Starkloff Disability Institute. Um, and I did read those couple of comments we got. We also heard from some people who feel otherwise. Uh, G.E. Foster says on Twitter, supports can and should be available to people with disabilities according to their individual needs so they can access, work in, contribute to, and enjoy their community the same as anyone else. Workshops equals segregation. Uh, Mary writes on our St. Louis on the Air Facebook page, my brother had cerebral palsy and epilepsy. He worked at a sheltered workshop in the 1980s. He was proud to have a paycheck and spend his earned money. It was his social time too, and he had a girlfriend at work. Due to medical issues, he couldn't work there anymore, and he went to a day program. He lost that feeling of being useful in a team. I know his pay was very low, and he didn't get out in a job in the world. Those opportunities weren't available then. Now, I worked in supported employment for a year with adults with autism. He would have loved the social aspect of having a job where he could interact with neurotypical people. All people have a right to a full life, being part of society, and earning a living wage. Inclusion benefits everyone. Uh, Kathy, I know before you were in your current position at Easter Seals Midwest, you oversaw employment and community services, including uh, a supported employment program. Um, how are these working out for the people who are who are working within those conditions? Yes, yeah, Sarah, that's true. We serve at Easter Seals um, around 750 people in our employment services, and we provide a range of services to help people build skills, help them make vocational goals, help support them to apply for jobs, keep their jobs, uh, get better at their jobs, get promotions, and have a real career. Um, We're finding an incredible amount of success and employers, uh, thanks to a lot of the work people like Colleen are doing and Easter Seals are doing, employers are are more and more interested in uh, bringing on people with disabilities to fill their talent gaps. Um, You know, interestingly, more and more young people 
are coming out of school. These are people who grew up in the post-ADA generation, in, in the IDEA world. They want and expect full inclusion and equality. They want a real job with real pay. And um, so, so the influx of young people wanting supported employment and other opportunities is really skyrocketing. And that also has been supported by some changes in some federal legislation in the last few years. Hmm. Overall, is there sufficient funding for these kind of programs? I know we all need more funding for, for good programs. <laughs> but, you know, the, these uh, uh, 6,000 workers that we're talking about in Missouri, mm-hmm. if they needed this supported employment as well, do you think the, the system would be able to handle them and, and help them? Well, I certainly hope so. I think that, uh, you know, there are several pathways to obtaining these services in the state of Missouri, either through vocational rehabilitation or the Division of Developmental Disabilities. Many local um, county boards uh, have funding to support individuals with developmental disabilities to obtain employment goals. And, you know, as, as our investment in 14C facilities reduces, it may free up some opportunity for those resources to be put into the next big thing for those folks with disabilities. When you say uh, support for these 14C programs, meaning the the sheltered workshops, so is there federal funding going to these programs that, that pay less than minimum wage? Yeah, almost everywhere in the country that's true except Missouri. We have a little bit of a different circumstance. Um, you, you probably hear it sometimes referred to the Missouri model. All that really means is that the workshops in Missouri don't receive any federal funding. They're funded completely through our general revenue dollars, contract, uh, uh, contract fees, and some local county board dollars. So that um, that is a little bit different. Now, Across the nation, many sheltered workshops do receive Medicaid funding or other types of federal funding, which also make them beholden to some specific rules around uh, inclusion Hmm. for those programs, which we don't have that here. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here, but is there some concern that with that Missouri model, it could be harder to do this phase out here and make sure that we have enough money to support the people who need to be supported? Well, I think that all depends. So like I said, in many of the pieces of federal legislation addressing this issue, they intend to make available some dollars to help organizations transition to a different kind of support model. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very good thing. I think that incentivizes people to be creative and to build out their supported employment programs to help support these folks. Um, I, I don't know that it makes it harder to change this in the state of Missouri. Although I will say, you know, the the most progressive evolution in employment services likely won't start here. Like you said, we're the uh, state in the nation with the second highest rate of 14C certificate holders. Mm-hmm. So, so likely when there's federal action on this issue, then we will sort of be forced to make a movement. Now, what we do know is that there are a lot of organizations who kind of see the writing on the wall, and they know that there's an inevitability around phasing out subminimum wage, and then they're getting uh, uh, creative and getting busy in taking the initiative to transition um, folks into a different kind of setting Hmm. or transform their services as opposed to having something mandated done to them. That's great to hear. I think it's really smart. (laughs) Yes, I think that's very smart. (laughs) Uh, Colleen, in our last minute here, I know this is not a new push. People have been talking about this now for more than a decade. Does this feel different? Does it feel like there's more momentum on on finally um, uh, changing this? 
Absolutely, Sarah. Uh, and I'm so glad you're bringing this to the public's attention because I think that family members who have somebody with a developmental disability would like to know this and to know that there's a big change coming and to know that these individuals are being welcomed by employers into the workforce and that we really do have a new day and new opportunities. And and so I, I feel this is going to happen. And I, I, Kathy, I think, gave you great background on it. But it's time has come. Mm-hmm. And uh, we need to get there. Well, it, it feels like there is a lot of momentum on this issue, and um, and it's been great getting up to speed on all of this. You know, I, I covered this years ago as a reporter in Arizona and the fights that were happening there over it, and it's just, it's fascinating to see the developments since then and, and some of these plans that are being put into place, and as Kathy says, some true creativity. So it's uh, it's just been very interesting to talk to you both today. And Colleen Starkloff, founder of the Starkloff Disability Institute, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. And Kathy Brown, Vice President of Public Policy for Easter Seals Midwest. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.